Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, March 9th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. The pace of vaccinations in the U.S. ramping up. The White House now announcing that 70% of seniors aged 75 and older have received a shot against COVID-19, as new guidelines promise freedom for those vaccinated. The $1.9 trillion coronavirus rescue bill now in the hands of the House. A final vote on the measure could come as soon as Wednesday. And a sudden immigration move, leaving Venezuelans here in the U.S. celebrating the latest on the TPS protection for immigrants from that country. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We began today with a major change for thousands of undocumented Venezuelan immigrants here in the U.S. President Joe Biden now offering extended immigration protection under the TPS program. Rafael Rodriguez has the details on this historic decision. The very idea that temporary protected status, also known as TPS, could change the lives of tens of thousands of undocumented Venezuelans in the United States for the better is filling this community with joy. Thank you so much to the government of the United States for giving so many Venezuelans this happiness. I do think we'll be able to apply and it's just one more element of protection from the U.S. government. Beginning on Monday, more than three 323,000 Venezuelans will be able to apply for TPS in their respective jurisdictions. The Department of Homeland Security confirming that this immigration relief will be extended initially for 18 months. The requirements include having entered the United States by March 8, 2021. Applicants must have continuous residence in the United States, and those seeking TPS protection will have 180 days to submit their applications. Facilitar this will make it easier for those in the U.S. hoping for political change in Venezuela. The measure will allow certain Venezuelans to live, work, and be legally protected in the United States with the peace of mind that, at least for now, they will not be deported. Reported by Galo Arellano, this is Rafael Rodriguez, U News. President Biden's $1.9 trillion relief package is one step closer to becoming a reality. The House is likely to vote tomorrow, with checks rolling out later this month. Meanwhile, the president today visited a small business in Washington, D.C. that has benefited from the loan policy, better known as the Payment Protection Program. Edwin P.T. is in Washington, D.C. with the details. Edwin. Hi, Carolina. I can tell you that President Biden continued to make the case for his $1.9 trillion relief bill today and stopped by the hardware store W.S. Jenks & Son. As you can see in the video, a small business here in Washington, D.C. that benefited from the loan program known as Paycheck Protection Program. Specifically, during the two weeks exclusive application window announced by the president on February 22nd for businesses with less than 20 employees. Biden met with Mike and Jerry Siegel, the two co-owners of the company, and also with Mary Ackley, owner of Little Wild Things Farm, which is located on the same property and also received emergency funding during the exclusive period. The relief bill is now awaiting final approval by the House, which is scheduled for tomorrow, Wednesday. This bill is a dramatic expansion of pandemic aid and federal safety net programs that underwent several changes before seeing 
passed by the Senate. With the bill, um, as it is, jobless benefits will remain at $300 a week instead of $400 and go through September, while stimulus checks will be limited to those making under $80,000 a year. Similar checks should start going out this month, but the White House won't say if Biden's name will appear on them, something Trump is insisted on when he was in office. Meanwhile, Carolina President Biden will deliver his first primetime address to the nation this Thursday to mark the anniversary of the coronavirus crisis. The Oval Office address will happen exactly a year since President Trump said to the country that the risk was very low. Live in Washington, D.C., back to you, Carolina. Thank you for that report, Edwin P.T. And now President Biden is promising to keep up his fight for a $15 minimum wage. This after a provision to increase the minimum wage did not survive Biden's COVID-19 relief bill in Congress. Monday, a White House senior advisor says Biden will keep pushing for the hike because he believes not one person in the U.S. should work 40 hours a week and still live in poverty. Meanwhile, a dozen Republican state attorneys general have filed a lawsuit over President Biden's executive order on climate change. The suit challenges the president's authority over, quote, massive expansion of federal regulations through executive order. The goal of Biden's order is to reduce climate pollution. The suit states that the executive order could result in a massive increase in regulations in multiple industries. And now to Minnesota for one of the most anticipated criminal trials in years. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is facing multiple charges related to the death of George Floyd. After a one-day delay, the jury selection process kicking off today with emotions running high outside the courthouse. Andrea Linares has more details. Jury selection in the trial against ex-Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin beginning today. Despite a delay after prosecutors wanted to halt the process Monday until an appeal over reinstating a third-degree murder charge is resolved. This court will have to be making decisions about seating jurors for that trial, a trial that we don't know what the charges will be in yet. As I've said to the state, unless the Court of Appeals tells me otherwise, we're going to keep moving. Chauvin has pleaded not guilty to second-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter in the death of George Floyd in May 2020. The incident sparking protests nationwide last summer. Now, crowds are gathering outside the courthouse, pleading for change. Floyd's youngest sister thanking them for their support. I want you guys to continue to pray for our family because we need it. We need it. Fortified fencing, barbed wire, and concrete barricades have gone up around the courthouse and police stations in Minneapolis in preparation for the landmark murder trial. Meanwhile, inside the courtroom, the families of Floyd and Chauvin are only allowed one member to be present because of COVID restrictions. We are praying for justice. Our hope is that justice prevails and we can all use this as an opportunity to be better and do better for those 
around us. The court tasked with finding 12 jurors and four alternates who, regardless of whether they've seen the widely publicized video, can still manage to remain impartial and follow jury instructions. Going forward, potential jurors will face a number of questions like have they attended any George Floyd rallies and how they feel about the Blue Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter movements. This jury selection process could take at least three weeks. The judge, defense attorney and prosecutors can all ask questions and the jurors will be questioned individually. The defense can object to up to 15 potential jurors without giving a reason. Meanwhile, prosecutors can block up to nine. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And now in Wisconsin, the former Milwaukee police officer who's accused of killing Joel Acevedo is asking for a change of venue in his trial. Attorneys for Michael Mattioli want to move, want to move his trial outside the Milwaukee County to give them a better chance of, find, of finding an impartial jury. The 32-year-old former police officer is charged with first-degree reckless homicide in the death of Acevedo. The former allegedly the officer allegedly killed the man after using a chokehold on him. The family of the victim does not want the case to be moved. In other legal news, the investigation into former President Trump's finances is expanding. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office is now looking into fortress investment management, the group that loaned the Trump Organization millions of dollars for its Chicago skyscraper. Investigators want to know how Trump and his company treated the loan, looking at whether Trump's company misled lenders or insurance brokers. The DA's office is also looking into whether Trump and the Trump Organization misled the IRS. The CDC announcing very good news for those fully vaccinated, allowing gatherings without a mask, but travel is still not advised. Meanwhile, spring break could create a new surge while more and more states are easing restrictions. Lorraine Casares has the latest. Life in the U.S. inching closer to normalcy. The CDC on Monday announcing new guidelines for those fully vaccinated. When I say fully vaccinated, I mean people who are two weeks after their second dose of either the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines or two weeks after a single dose of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Those inoculated are now free to gather with other fully immunized people indoors without masks and social distancing. They can also visit low-risk unvaccinated people. With more and more people getting vaccinated each day, we are starting to turn a corner. But it's not all good news. The CDC saying travel is still not a good idea. At this time, the CDC is not adjusting current guidance on travel. Everyone, whether vaccinated or not, should continue to avoid medium and large size gatherings as well as non-essential travel. The airline industry pushing back, saying heavily filtered air on planes and mask wearing make it less likely for passengers to get infected with the virus, suggesting the CDC should instead publicly release travel guidelines. But the director of the CDC says that every time travel picks up, the country sees a surge in cases, something that could happen in the upcoming week 
weeks due to spring break. Right now, there are more than 3,000 cases of the UK variant in at least 49 states. A new report finding it's widespread in Houston's wastewater. The city's chief medical officer saying, quote, it's actively spreading in our city. On Monday, Michigan reported its first case of the South African variant, and it's a child. They're now trying to trace other possible cases. Meanwhile, Wyoming becoming the sixth state to announce they're lifting their mask mandate. Eleven other states have no statewide mask rules, and two more, Utah and Alabama, are planning to lift mask mandates next month. And among those 65 years and older, about 60% have already received at least one dose of vaccine. Right now, um, more than 30 million people have been vaccinated, and that's uh, finally surpassing the number of infections that have been, have been reported in the U.S. since the start of the pandemic, which right now stands at about 29 million. Back to you, Carolina. Thank you, Lorraine, for the live report. And let's go to J Dr. Jason Goldman. He's an internal medicine physician in Coral Spring, Florida. He's also an American College of Physicians liaison to the CDC. Dr. Goldman, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Doctor, what's your take on the CDC guidelines for fully vaccinated people? Well, I think it's very good guidelines as interim guidance as we get more data, as we get more information and see how the pandemic continues to progress with this vaccine now rolling out, we'll know more. But we still need to protect the most vulnerable. So while it's good if you're vaccinated, it will protect you, we do not yet fully know how it prevents the spread to those who are unvaccinated. So we want to make sure that we keep everyone safe. Doctor, the CDC is still cautioning against travel. As we just reported, airlines do not agree. What is your opinion when it comes to travel? Well, I think, again, with travel, there is risk because there may be people on the plane who are not vaccinated that could be at risk for infection. You may be vaccinated yourself, but if you're carrying the virus and you spread it to someone who's unvaccinated, they could get sick. So we do have to look at this as a public health emergency and be able to keep those unvaccinated people at risk for disease safe. So travel will increase the spread, as we've seen over this past year. Doctor, is there more information on whether vaccinated people can still carry and spread the virus? Well, that data is still forthcoming. You know, of course, the vaccine studies were looking at how it prevents disease and death, but they did not necessarily look at the initial studies on how it prevents transmission. But the hope is, as time goes on, we will look at that information and be able to make more interim recommendations as we get more people vaccinated and see how it affects the spread of the disease to other people. And on Sunday, the U.S. recorded around 40,000 new cases, but it also reported 2.9 million vaccine doses were distributed. Are we headed in the right direction, doctor? Well, the more people we get vaccinated, the better. We need to really ramp it up and make sure we get the most vulnerable vaccinated, both those at risk for disease as well as risk of death. So it's a multifaceted approach. We need to continue to vaccinate, but until we have enough people vaccinated, we need to continue to wear masks, social distance, and should not be lifting mask mandates across the country as many jurisdictions are doing. Doctor, you're in Florida. How do you think Governor DeSantis has prioritized groups and handled vaccine rollout? 
Well, I think the CDC created a very good framework that should be followed. While using that ethical framework, we make sure we protect those most at risk of infection as well as most at risk of death. It really needs to be state by state, but if we follow the CDC recommendations, we'll be able to protect the most vulnerable. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jason Goldman, for your time today. Thank you so much. In immigration news, Department of Homeland Security employees are being asked to lend assistance with a boost in immigrants along the border between the U.S. and Mexico. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas made the request in an email, according to a source who received the message. Another DHS official confirmed the email was sent Monday. Mayorkas referred to the situation at the border as, quote, a challenge during a White House press conference last week. Meanwhile, coyotes, those who get paid to smuggle people across the border, are turning to new ways to advertise their services. Luis Mejid has more details. To come to the U.S. without permission is not only illegal, but it is also dangerous and expensive. It doesn't matter. There are thousands of desperate migrants willing to pay any price and smugglers ready to offer their services in social media. Human rights activists are seeing this marketing strategy becoming more and more popular. To cross with a smuggler is not cheap. In this page, they offer to help you jump the wall for $6,200 to cross through a tunnel for 7500 Two months ago, this Mexican migrant paid $5,000 to come to California. And he still owes another 5000 to the smuggler. If this business is illegal, how come social media companies allow smugglers to promote their services? Facebook answered quickly and rapidly removed the pages with flags saying they violate their community standards. They also asked the public to report this type of content. But the demand for smugglers' services is high, and there are many willing to hire anybody who promises to bring them to the U.S. San Francisco, Luis Mejid, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. And now to the fallout over Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's interview with Oprah. Allegations of racism, bullying, and insensitivity by the royal household have shocked the world, especially Meghan's revelation that she contemplated suicide and didn't get the help she needed. Let's go to Dr. Dana Crawford. She's a clinical psychologist in New York City. Thank you so much for your time, doctor. Thank you for having me. Doctor, what stood out to you about Megan's struggle with mental health? Yeah, what I really took away from the interview were a couple of things. One, regardless of how much money a person has, mental health is still a concern. 
So often in our world, we're not paying attention to the unique needs of young moms, new moms, um, and just mothers in general. What I saw in that video was really a mom that was struggling and didn't have the support she needed to get through it and to become the mom that she was really striving to be. And doctor, what did Megan Revelations expose about what many black women experience at all, at all levels of society? Yeah, so I'll say, you know, as a black woman, so often we are put in positions of strength. You know, a strong black woman is an archetype that we have been told so often through history, through our families, through our relationships. But when you're a mom, when you're a person, trying to navigate something so as intense um, as being questioned about who you are, who your child will be, their skin color. What it tells me is that no one um, is immune to the impact of racism. Now, during the interview, Prince Harry said he didn't tell other people in his family that Meghan was having a hard time because he was ashamed of admitting that to them. What does that tell you? Yeah, the stigma of mental health really needs to be addressed because we are all people. We all have emotions, we have thoughts, we have things that are really challenging. And although your unique experience may be different, regardless of how much money you have, we've all had those moments where we felt like something was a little bit too much. The shame of needing help is something that keeps so many people from speaking out. One of the things that she said in the interview is that she needed to say it out loud or she might have done it. And so if there's anyone watching that is, you know, experiencing suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety, speaking to someone is critical. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to speak on. And if anyone is shaming you, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. Because in truth, um, there is nothing to be ashamed of when we think of mental health. Similar to physical health, mental health is real, and we require and need the appropriate professional help. There is a suicide or crisis hotline that I recommend for everyone, and that's one 800 273 talk or 1-800-273-8255 if you need to speak to someone and get professional help and keep talking until you get the help that you need. What are some of the common misconceptions about therapy that stop people from actually calling and getting help? Yeah, I think the first one that I often hear is someone's going to think I'm crazy. Um, when you go to a mental health provider, a therapist, a psychologist, psychiatrist, or social worker, we're not there to judge. We're there to help you figure out how you can be your best self, how you can reach your optimal mental health. The other misconception is that everyone's going to tell about your business. It is a confidential space. Um, and, and the other conception that I get is someone's going to force me to take medication. That's not going to happen. Um, often people think that mental health services are not affordable, which is also inaccurate. Now with COVID, I think that services have become more accessible than ever. You literally do not have to leave your house to have a therapist. You can open up your computer, um, open up your phone, and there's a therapist available for you. So there are many, many resources. Um, as the world has become smaller, that means that mental health services are more accessible than ever. Doctor, you mentioned people reaching out if they're having a hard time. What should one do when someone expresses that they're having suicidal thoughts? Mm -hmm. The first thing is thank them for telling you. The second is to not judge. 
The next is to figure out how you can get them professional help. It can be really scary when someone tells you that they're experiencing suicide, depression, very debilitating anxiety. Know that you do not have to do that alone. There are crisis hotlines. There's also a text line, a 741-741, where you can just text the word hi or help, and there's someone on the other end. And so when someone expresses that they're experiencing suicide, you don't want to, or suicidality, you don't want to leave them alone. You want to seek out resources and get the help that you both need to support that person. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Dana Crawford, for being with us today. Thank you for having me, and thank you for highlighting this very important topic. It is, doctor. Thanks again. And as you just mentioned, if you or a loved one is having trouble or wants to talk to anyone, you can always call that line that you're seeing on screen, 1-800-273-8255. It is available 24 hours a day. It is available in English and also in Spanish. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.